You're listening to You Play A What, a podcast by a musician for musicians. My name is Vincent and I play the euphonium. Join me as I sit down with successful musicians to talk about their specialization, inspirations, and career developments. Hello everyone, thank you for tuning in to this episode of You Play A What. This week we return to the usual format of the show where I'm not just speaking to myself. My guest today started her music education after completing her law degree. While others, including myself, might be a little perplexed by her decision, I believe she has not looked back since. Performing prominent roles in numerous operas both locally and abroad, Xiang Ting is currently a part of the Swiss Opera Studio in Biel, Switzerland, and he has been wonderful to catch up with her. That's all from me now. Please enjoy this episode of You Play A What with Xiang Ting. My guest today decided to enter Music Conservatory after completing her law degree. When I first heard about her decision, I was seriously surprised. And when I didn't see her at the RNCM when the academic year started, I thought she had made the more popular decision to have a career in law. But she did eventually make it to Manchester. Uh, It's apparently visa issues, something that I believe had induced stress on many students studying abroad. She has appeared on newspaper articles talking about her love for fish soup and appeared on an installment of An Afternoon with Lian He Zhao Bao. But most recently, like yesterday, she performed in the final installment of Kopi and Songs organized by the Opera People. Welcome to the show, Xiang Ting. How are you doing today? Hi, Vincent. Okay, I was just giggling silently here. Um, I'm, I'm well. Thank you for inviting me on your podcast series. I'm really excited to be here and to chat with you again. Fantastic. Uh, great. You know, uh, absolutely my pleasure to have you on the show. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know about you, but for today, weather outside resembles uh, very much like our time in Manchester. Yeah, it's quite grey today. It's a lot more humid than Manchester, but yes, it definitely has that um, quite stale in the air kind of feeling. <laughs> yeah, good. And uh, first of all, I want to say uh, congratulations on your performance yesterday. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Yeah, uh, what a great job. And uh, I know I have already uh, relayed what I thought about the performance to you uh, via our text message. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it's uh, it's really been a while since I last heard you sing. And uh, I think it's really my fault for not be catching up with uh, your projects when you're performing in Singapore. 
No, not at all. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I think the the progress that you have made over the years is yeah astonishing. My God, yeah. What what really kind of drawn me to to the performance is now really the clarity in everything that you did, in terms of the expression, the pronunciation, the voice, and all that kind of stuff. Wow, thank you so much for saying that. I, I feel really encouraged to hear that because honestly, just um, I, I know you sent me your very nice text, thank you, and yeah. I just re- replied with a couple of emoticons because right before I replied to you, I listened back to the recording mm. and I was just thinking to myself, you know, ah, I, you know, I, I, okay, I don't know about you, but when I listen back to my own recordings, I can only hear all the flaws, mm. all the things that don't add up and... Um, yeah, I, I was just wondering yesterday, will this feeling ever end? Will I be able to sing something and then immediately play it back and go, mm, okay, I, you know, I'm happy. Yeah. yeah. So uh, anyways, but it has been such a journey. So six, five or six years mm. yeah, since we last, since we met, right? Yeah. Uh, in Manchester. Yeah. So I think it has been such a journey with, with my voice, with this with music mm. so often it feels like one step forward two steps back is it like that for you too yeah definitely i think we will never come to terms uh <laughs> with our own uh, standards right yeah because i think in order for us to do what we do and continue to to practice and continue to work on our craft we cannot be content right you know every time we, we listen back we are aspiring to a level of excellence that is perhaps you will question whether it's attainable or not sometimes yeah but yeah. um irregardless every day we pick up the instrument or we start singing uh we just aspire to that level yeah yeah amen yeah and i think <laughs> yeah. that the ceiling uh, keeps going up right yes so yes. you know perhaps when you first started your uh, music education in uh, rncm mm the ceiling that you set for yourself versus the ceiling that you set for yourself now could be completely yeah. different, right? If yeah. you rewind back to a couple of years ago and you listen to what you've done yesterday, yeah, you could have been pleased. You yeah. could have thought that, oh, this is about like the best that I could have done. But right now, of course, you are at a, a different stage of your progress. Therefore, yeah. you know, the ceiling keeps going higher and higher and higher, which is, I, oh, yeah. I think it's a good thing, definitely. Yes. Yes, no, you're so right. I was just messaging a colleague yesterday and I was, I mean, because I was, you know, overwhelmed by the adrenaline and the the feeling of um, of having done the performance, which I was really, really, um, really happy to be a part of. Uh, But then also listening to the recording and I said like, I was saying to this colleague, you know, sometimes it feels like the more I study, the the more flaws I hear and, um, but you've, I think you're absolutely right. You just reminded me that really it's, I think we cannot, we cannot gauge this based on how we feel about our recordings, mm. but we can trust on the objective standards, the objective indicators, whether or not we have improved, I think. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And I think a part of why we feel that way is also the, the very typical conservatory training mindset, mm. right? Mm. Where it, yes. we are, Perhaps there are very few uh, disciplines that require you to be in this sort of critique mode. Yes. Throughout uh, the entire process of yes putting up a project. Yeah. Yeah. We are constantly on critique mode from 
day one when we start to learn a new piece and if we work it up to a performance level, right? The entire process, yeah, is basically just full critique mode all the time. Are we doing this correctly? Is this right? Is this what we want? How can we mm. how can it be better? Yeah. Yes. So uh, yeah, I guess it's only normal that we are often or, or we often think like that when yeah. we listen back to our performances. Yeah. So true. What I'm curious about for yesterday is obviously mm-hmm. um I know you were singing in a relatively uh, enclosed space. It's not mm-hmm. like a, a big uh, recital hall or, or a concert hall. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was someone's living room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, actually when, when Pauline came onto the show, yeah, yeah she, she also shared with us because I found that living room to, quite, to be quite familiar. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I'm just curious because when, when you were singing, everything just felt kind of, I think really easy. I don't know if it was easy for you, but from from what I heard and from what I saw, mm. it's really easy. How how much of the max amount of resonance are you producing at that point of time? Do you do you like sort of control that a little bit because of the room, or was that kind of like how you would sing normally if you were to go to a VCH or a bigger room? Actually, I okay. I sang it the exact same way that I would have sung it outside I think I can't be of course 100% sure because I think we also respond quite um, organically subconsciously to whatever room we're put in Mm. but I definitely wasn't consciously trying to keep it in Mm. Um, and it it was for me really comfortable to sing it in Pauline's living room because Mm. you know it was a space that I was familiar with we've we've done many rehearsals even a few um, funny trailers for our previous concerts before there mm, so yeah, yeah and, and her room is have you, you've been there right yes i have mm. so it's quite like the acoustics are nice actually it's a little bit wet uh, for a singer it's mm. I, I don't know about brass actually is it too small uh, uh i mean the ceiling is like most hdb flats which is oh. um not as ideal could be a little right. bit higher but not too bad I must say. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So for singing, it was, uh, for me at least, it's, it's really very comfortable because, um, you know, her layout of her place, she's made it quite airy, even though I mean, mm. it's, it's not like a huge living room, but but you don't feel constrained. It's, um, it's a nice and airy place to sing. And also for yesterday's project, I think we've got to give a lot of thanks to our, there was a sound, a sound engineer, a sound producer who was there mm. in the next room. He, he had all his wires connected and, if there at all was one thing that was uh, slightly unusual, it was the fact that Pauline's piano lid was like fully open and it had to be the case because of his uh, recording devices and stuff. He needed to put the mic in and whatever. Yeah. And yeah. So uh, singing with a fully I open see. lid um, at very, at some points it, it did feel like, Oh, do I have to give more or, or whatever? But actually, but thinking back, Honestly, mm. I didn't feel anything. <laughs> I didn't feel out of place. Yeah, it, it felt comfortable. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. Good, good. Nice. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, definitely, I think um, with my experience of recording, of mm. course, I don't have the uh, sound box and all that uh, professional miking, yeah. but doing some recordings yeah. uh, from my room, for different video projects, yes. I know that uh, this can be extremely unforgiving, much more unforgiving than right. uh, singing in a uh, life in a concert hall. Yes. You know, where there is 
just a little bit more resonant and because the, the mic just picks up so much of the everything uh, details yeah 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 you know and sometimes it's just like oh you <laughs> wish you wish that yeah yeah that there would be a little bit of um acoustic help i know right kinda, yeah yeah, yeah <sighs> kind of help you along a little bit yes but yeah but irregardless uh really really well done i must say thank you so much i will provide a, a link okay on the show description okay. so for anyone who is interested uh, to listen and find out more about uh, this final episode of Kopi and Songs with Xiangting and Jade can just yeah go on there and have a listen for yourself mm, thank you I hope you enjoy yeah, it yeah I'm sure they will towards the end of the episode I also heard that um, I, I heard you guys promoting a new uh, or an upcoming project mm-hmm. so this is entitled uh, Shades of Idomeneo yes uh, is that right yes yeah. So uh, it's based on the opera Idomeneo yes. by Mozart. Mm. Pardon me for my ignorance, but this might not be one of uh, Mozart's uh, famous opera. I actually don't know if it's been done in Singapore, not to my knowledge. So mm. it might be the very first time that it's going to be um, produced here. Uh, yeah. And I think what's really exciting about this upcoming project, uh, I don't know when it's going to be released, but we'll be recording it in September. So I think what's really uh, unique about this upcoming project is that it's going to be a film film production, a film adaptation of this opera. So, you know, because of COVID and, and the restrictions on live performances, we're not able mm. to perform it to a live audience. Um, yeah. yeah, so instead what the opera people have decided to do is to uh, give it a completely new spin. So I think for for us, so there will be five principal singers involved. Um, Jonathan Charles Tay, he's the only, he's a, I don't know, actually, Jonathan Charles Tay, who is Idomeneo, and then Leslie, okay. Leslie Tay, who mm-hmm. will be singing Arbace, uh, Felicia Teo, Kaisin, who will be singing mm. uh, Idamante, and Joyce, Joyce Li Tong, who will be singing um, Eletra, and I will be singing Ilia. So there's just okay. five of us. There's, there's, there should also be a chorus involved. but And, you know, initially they were also going to do it with the orchestra. But because mm. of COVID and, and all this, plans have had to be changed yeah. so many times. I think we, we, we're still adapting to the regulations as they mm. come out. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. But it'll be exciting. Yes. Yeah, because we will, we'll be able to learn how to work with the camera, which is going to be a new skill, I think. Mm, yeah. For sure. And this film concept, so is it going to be released in parts or is it going to be like one complete film when it's been released? As far as I know, probably one complete film. Like one complete opera. Okay. Mm. Yeah, so stay tuned. Yeah. <laughs> cool. I think, you know, uh, with, with the opera people, I really like how they try to come up with innovative ways to present Western opera. Mm. I think particularly the opera genre is perhaps uh, a little bit difficult to uh, sell in Singapore, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> I think yes. Yeah. Not just in Singapore, yeah. but overseas as well. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It, it's just the scale of the work yes. nowadays is just a, a little bit perhaps too huge, right? For people to um, go into the theatre and just, you know, spend two, three hours I don't know. Watching an opera. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure. I don't think it's because the scale is huge, but I think it's it's hard to appreciate and to love what you have not been exposed to and what you mm. don't know. You know, I think 
I think that for me, at least, that's the case with opera and with just classical music in general. I think, you know, overseas, just like how when we were in RNCM, I used to be so amazed at how, you know, every lunchtime concert, which was like almost every day, the hall mm-hmm. would, would fill up with really a good number of people and often even be full, right? And we're talking yeah. a big concert hall here. We're not talking about like a room of 20 people. And they can mm, be playing yeah. all sorts of obscure pieces. But uh, okay, to be fair, a lot of them were, were older generation, you know, people who grew, yeah. maybe grew yeah. up with classical music, right? Mm. Yeah, but still, you know, that people would travel all the way to college to to listen to a work was something that really moved me. And I, I don't think it's it's about scale. I think it's about exposure. Mm. 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 Yeah, that makes sense as well. I think, yeah, like what you said, that's very true. The lunchtime concerts, yeah, actually now that I think about it, it's always full. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> and uh, of course, part of it is our uh, students supporting their their fellow schoolmates as well. But um, a- another big part of it is the general public. Yes. Right. And like I said, people who have grown up thinking that going to a concert is a proper source of uh, entertainment. Yeah. Or comfort or... Exactly. Where they're not so engaged by uh, technology, social media and... Um, you know, hours of just perhaps scrolling on a phone or a device, yes. right? So they'd rather be out and about uh, doing stuff. Yes. Yeah. You know, I was just thinking about this the other day and about sometimes, okay, I don't know about you, sometimes for me, I, I find myself asking, why, why am I doing this? This being, mm. why am I striving? What are my, what are my motivations? What, what, what drives me, you know, what inspires me. Because honestly, yeah. sometimes in this industry, it's I, I find it hard to answer because, you know, the music industry, being a musician today, it's not like being a lawyer or any regular office job. You know, there's yeah. no fixed path in front of you. It's really, Definitely. yeah, it's really you make what you you want of your, yeah. of your life, of your career and... So at the same time, there there are so many, there can be so many voices of distraction around you, and it's, I guess, part of the journey is learning how to choose, which which voices resonate with you, or or which mm. yeah, what what you can learn from, and and so on and so forth. So anyway, a couple of days ago, I was just thinking about this, and I remembered when I was in the UK, someone once sent me. Um, I think this was a podcast actually by the BBC. I, I can't remember like which channel already, but it was. Um, do you know? The, do you know? There's this channel that explains and shares about classical music, um, and there was a an episode on the four last songs by uh, Richard Strauss. And okay, oh, you know, okay. you know me. Right. You know, I always tell you that if there's one piece of work that I really want to do before I die, um, it's, mm. it would be that. And yeah. I remember listening to the podcast and just being so, so touched and inspired because in the podcast, they interviewed, you know, just people from all walks of life, people who are not musicians, who mm. who by chance came to listen to this work, either at a concert or, or on the radio. And so many of them just shared how how much they were touched, how much they were healed and transformed by that piece of music. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I always think if anyone, any human gets to, 
gets to be exposed, get to, gets to listen to a piece of music that is performed well, as it should be, mm. they, something in them will respond, you know? Yeah. It's like yeah. good opera. It's, it's mm. hard to, to find really, 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 really top-notch opera where like everything works together. Of course, you have these in like the biggest houses, but because yeah. live performance, because so many factors are involved, sometimes things don't fall together um, as, as they should or as they are intended to. But when, mm. but when you are in a, a good performance, right, you, I think it's a life-transforming thing. The points that you've made so far mm. are, are really good. And I think over the, the period of time, especially since I've uh, moved back to Singapore, mm. I do question myself on like, you know, why am I doing this? Mm. And I think as musicians or as artists, right, the ability that we have is to connect with people at a much more profound level yeah. than, than speech. Yes. Than just by talking about things. And like you said, if music is performed well and the way it should be, then it connects with people at a much deeper level. Mm. It taps into perhaps uh, emotions that you are, you feel guarded yeah. uh, to, to reveal to other people. I think the, the important part is also down to the performer and how we derive our own message. Yes. Right? But why we do what we do mm. has to have a message, has to have an a, a intent. Mm -hmm. And if music becomes self-serving mm. and that if you are performing to show something mm. and to, to show off your ability to do something, mm. then I think um, that becomes very, this entire thing becomes very transactional, right? Yes. That people would, would pay money and come and see you and at the end of it, they might enjoy it, they might not, that's not your concern, yes. right? But the most important thing is really like communicating, the part of uh, connecting with the audience. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, we try our best, but chances are um, it's extremely difficult to connect with every single one that's sitting inside yes, the, of course, yeah. the, the concert hall mm. and the performance space. But, you know, you can reach a handful of people yeah. that really could connect with the message that you're trying to send across, the ideas, and they could understand uh, your thoughts and your intent behind the music. And I think that is a success. I completely agree. And, yeah. Yeah. And I think as performers, we have to come to terms with that first, that sometimes not everybody will understand mm. what you're trying to say. Mm. And that's okay. Yes. Right. Yes. Maybe, maybe further down in a couple of years, they might think back to that performance that they went to, and then they might feel a little bit different. Yes. About that experience. Yes. I completely right? agree, yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah, we, we get into perhaps sometimes this danger of uh, chasing for for likes, this danger of chasing for, for numbers <laughs> yes. and views, right? And we feel like if not enough people see our product or our performance, then perhaps it's not a job well done. Yeah, it is so easy yeah. to fall into that trap, you know. I think, especially mm. for the modern musician, I was just telling uh, a friend about this the other day. That um, so, I was talking, speaking to an, an older musician, and she was saying, you know, how young artists these days—they're they're all about, you know, their their Twitter and Instagram—and it, it seems like so many people are just so caught up in self-promotion and all of that. Then, okay, mm. yes, of course, we—I think we 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 can easily see why. Um, there is this 
point of view. But then I was also sharing with her, having um, graduated from conservatory uh, quite recently, I, I would say. Mm. Honestly, I think that that's what you're told that you should do when you're in conservatory. Of course, after you graduate, then it's up to you to decide how you want to orientate your own professional life. But like, correct me if yeah. I'm wrong, you know, I, when you were doing your degree in RNCM, wasn't there a module that, that told people they had to set up their own page and website, you know? Isn't it? Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. And I guess, you know, all this also comes down to, to being what being a, a modern uh, performer and musician is in today's world, where everything mm. is digitally connected, etc. But yes, I completely agree. I think uh, with what you said that we have to first find out what our message is, what our, what our purpose is in doing music. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I think with conservatories, mm. of course, a lot of them are trying to pivot into something that is like, um, oh, they, maybe they start to realize now that musical excellence by itself mm. is not enough. Oh, right? I don't know. Do you agree with that, Vincent? Yeah. <laughs> I, I would say that musical excellence nowadays mm. is no longer a selling point. Mm. I would say that musical excellence is something that is demanded or it has to be there in the first place. Mm-hmm. We expect a, a certain level sure. of um, a musicianship and performance. Yeah. But I think uh, younger students might not focus enough on the importance of excellence and start to be distracted by like publicity, mm-hmm. uh, marketing ourselves and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Where they, they are thought I think in their early education should be really on honing the craft. Yes. And yeah, it's important at the early stage. It's also important throughout your entire career to be honing the craft. Um, but I think if you do it at the early stage, then it becomes a, a, a thing of second nature, right? That it's just a normal thing that I have to continuously work towards this level of excellence that I want to achieve. Mm. And a lot of the self-marketing and publicity stuff then should come after that. Mm. And a lot of people publicize themselves once again without a very clear message, without a very, without an identified niche, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think we have to be good. We have to find that message and that niche. Mm. So with all that done, Mm -hmm. like you've got a very, very clear concept of what you want to achieve, Mm -hmm. then you start promoting yourself then I think it makes sense. <laughs> Otherwise, we should be working on that. Yeah. yeah. I don't know about you. Yeah. I, I I think that like the model that you just described, definitely, um, it sounds very ideal. And I think that like definitely uh, some performers um, have uh, worked in this way and do work in this way. And I, mm. I, I also think that it, it really sounds great if to get everything sorted out and then put yourself out there. Of course, we also don't want, like you said, we don't, we never want a case where someone is not really ready and then just by virtue of marketing pushes him or herself out there because that is disastrous for the person, for the for the performer, yeah. right? Yeah. Correct. But I, I just, I, sorry, I just chuckled because <laughs> I, I don't know if if I will ever be able to say, you know, I. Here is my my unique selling point um, um, that 
it completely sets me apart from like all the other sopranos, all the other Asian sopranos in Europe mm. or like in this part of the world. So I, yeah, I don't know. It, it has been a dilemma for me as well, actually. So yeah. how I have resolved that. So I've had my Facebook page for, I think that just the last two years, two, two or three years. And um, how I resolve this dilemma is I make sure that every time I, I post any post, it's always something that like resonates completely and authentically with me. Does that make sense? Because I, yeah, I never want definitely. to, yeah, I never want to one day look back and, and think, oh, this came from a place that was not genuine. This came from a place because mm. it was, um, I don't know, PR motivated or whatever Correct. it is. Mm. I understand. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I think that, that could be like the biggest downside of social media, isn't it? Because it, this constant portrayal of like life is great sometimes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. And whether or not it's the truth, sometimes we don't know. But like you said, if you are able to um, curate your posts in a way that you know that this is like uh, authentic, genuine, and how you feel about certain things, then sure, I think that's uh, worthy of being up on your own page. Okay. But yeah. <laughs> I got your stamp but of approval. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know if that means anything <laughs> or not. But <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, if it's otherwise, then probably not a good idea because yeah, like it, it comes back to the the accountability, right? Yes. Of what we post yes. and the things that we publish online. Yes. You don't want to be asked about a certain thing. Like for example, Oh, you said you like fish soup. Actually, <laughs> you know, you, you don't actually I'm like, allergic. allergic to seafood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ex- right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, exactly. So you want it to be like uh, the whole truth. Of course. Cannot lie. Life would be too yeah. tiring otherwise. <laughs> correct, correct. You have to keep tabs yeah. on what you said. Uh. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Right. Let's move on to. Um, Wow, it's 30 minutes in already, oh. right? Time just flew. I know. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So let's move on to um, the, the interview okay. uh, proper. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, let's start with how did we first meet? Oh, um, I think like you said, it was an RNCM. It must have been September 2014. Um, do you reckon no actually no we were <laughs> it was in a it was in a talk with one of the professors when he came to Singapore right exactly yes yes yeah so I think it was uh, with hey Jin. Uh Dr. Martin oh, Harlow oh, right yeah yeah yes yes yeah hey Jin as well right. hey Jin was there right yeah and uh, there's also another violinist by the name of Gail but uh, she didn't uh, come to the RNCM okay yeah so it's normal right that, you know, yeah, we, we kind of didn't quite remember her. Right. But I remembered her because uh, she's the sister of another um, amateur euphonium player oh, in Singapore. okay. So that's, yeah, that's why uh, I remembered her. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think that, that was the first time I met you. Right. And, um, <laughs> yeah, that, that was also the, the, the time that I found out that you had just completed your law degree. Yes. And just within... Yeah, after you told me that you just finished your law degree, there was a lot of question marks in my head. There was seriously, I'm just like, what are you doing here? I know, I get that a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But sure, we'll talk about that uh, a little bit more uh, in the next uh, question. Yeah, so then of course, we we fast forward to September Mm -hmm. where 
uh, term has started. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, this three other person that I met in this meeting, none of them showed up. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 Because uh, Heijin uh, was then uh, planning to defer her study for a year. Yes. And she obviously came to our NCM yes. uh, a year later. Right. And then, uh, like I said earlier in the interview, you struggled with a visa a little yes, bit. Yes, that's right. Uh, yeah, so you came probably week two or week three mm-hmm. of uh, the, the academic mm-hmm. year, right? Yeah. If I'm not wrong. Yeah, yeah I, I actually thought that you went to do something else already. Went back to be a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Maybe yeah. even an engineer now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Or, you know, took another degree. Oh, gosh. You know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but... Uh, Obviously, after that, you made it mm. and we had uh, three years together yeah. at the RNCM. Yeah. Yeah, before you left for Switzerland. <sighs> what a joy. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, I think uh, I always remembered that what uh, really kind of sets you apart from other people that I speak to is your approach to, to music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like you are so constantly like engaged, interested, and and almost passionate when you speak about music mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Which I find, of course, it is a little bit weird to say, uh, because we are all studying in a conservatory. Mm-hmm. But I find to be actually very impressive. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. Thank yeah. you. Uh, of course, of course, you, you might think that oh, shouldn't everyone be thinking of music the same way? Yeah. Uh, I I think. In general, yes, but <laughs> uh, but but sometimes it doesn't work out like that because sometimes you know we, we draw that line, right? So for example, if you are relaxing and you are not in a practice room, sometimes people don't want to engage in musical talks at all. Sometimes they want to talk about something completely different. I don't know if you um, have such um, uh, friends. Yeah, of course. Uh, starting at RNCM, of course. In the in the voice studio, whereby yeah, after practice or a studio class they're like yeah let's not chat about music anymore you know let's just go have a drink enjoy ourselves talk about yeah. you know other things oh, other people yeah mm, yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry yeah. i mean that's what often happened yeah yeah, mm. yeah fair enough yeah yeah and yeah so i i find that you're you're kind of constantly engaged mm. with music and i don't know whether is it because you came into uh, studying music mm. at a later time mm. and that and that this is uh, something that you've always wanted to do that then made you become so kind of like engrossed in this sort of or, or curious about music almost constantly you know I I cannot speak for other people so like I'm not sure why how their approach uh, might look different but yes mm. I Yes, I, I, I do, um, I, I acknowledge what you're saying and I, I have felt sometimes different. Of course, sometimes when I, when I meet people who are of the same wavelength, for example, you, and when we speak, mm. when we can speak about music in, like in a, in a wholesome sense, not just to, well, I don't know, not just like, okay, where are you going to audition or a competition or that kind uh, of thing, um, but yeah. when we can be curious about Oh, for example, how does the change in the mouth shape for a brass player affect your playing? And and how might that translate to singers? And I remember how we were talking about breath support and how it might be different, right? And yeah, yeah and, and things like that. I I feel really happy 
when when that happens, mm. when I can meet people of the same mind and same heart. Um, mm. As to why I'm like that, um, honestly, I think for me, ever since I was young, music has always been, I want to say sacred, but I don't mean it in a religious sense. I It has always had a very pure place in my heart. You know, it's, I, I, for lack of a better phrase, I would like to call it the sanctity of music. And okay. I think, you know, different people, music is important to different people in different ways. Just like how you said just now, people respond to a piece of music differently. Some might be touched, some might be not, right? That's okay. Mm. And I think that's something that I, I observed through the last six years of being overseas in full-time music education, that even as I progressed on, you would have thought that at a higher and higher level that there will be a convergence of thought, right? But actually, no, I've, I found that, you know, some people, some people maybe enjoy the showy aspect of music, of performing. Uh, mm. I, I think to me, the, the word is integrity, the integrity of mm. yourself as a musician, as a person. Yeah. Um, and your, your respect for the music. I, that has always been really important things to me. And I have fought hard to guard this, you know, because I always, I always felt that if I would lose these things, then, then why am I doing this? I can do any other, any other career that, you know, I can go be a lawyer. I can just go be a, a secretary. I can, whatever, you know, I, I'm not putting these mm. other careers down, but for me, I think that what, that being a musician is is such a privilege because exactly because of this, you know, yep. um, whether it's because, so you asked, is it because I, I entered late? Um, I don't know. I, I also wondered. Sometimes I do regret that, you know, I gave five years of my life plus one for auditioning, but so to, to law, right. Mm. When, when I could have answered this sort of call, for music on my life earlier. But then yeah. on the other hand, when I entered RNCM, I also felt sometimes that I'm happy that I'm here at this point in my life. So slightly later, because then I'm, I'm so much more aware of what music means to me. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, the maturity and uh, the life experiences that you've accu accumulated. Yeah, I guess so. That informs you of certain things, right? Right. About the meaning of music and, and uh, things like that. I just was just going to ask you, did you feel the same way too? To a certain extent, yes. Um, but I think for me, my, my time at RNCM, is a shame that it was shaped in the first two years in particular, mm. uh, my relationship with my teacher. Mm, mm. So uh, that was, that that sort of like made me experience something that I've never experienced before, yes. right? So, um, so going to RNCM, of course, I was also... Uh, very passionate about the euphonium, very passionate about music yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and that sort of like, kind of almost put out the flame for me. I was like, I was almost done right. in, in a way, yes. which was which was really quite sad. And I think I spoke to you about this as yes. well. And uh, my, my, my relationship with my teacher. Mm. And of course, I spoke about it in uh, the previous episode mm. uh, to this, mm. when I spoke by myself, mm. about myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, for me, I think I could have experienced my time at RNCM mm. a little bit differently mm. if the relationship and the dynamic was different. Right. And yeah, 
and you cannot imagine the amount of um, influence that uh, principal studies teacher have. I can completely imagine because I, 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 you know, I the actually the last two years in Switzerland were were rough, uh, and I think in large part because of this too. Mm. Yeah, and sometimes it's just that you don't see eye to eye yeah. with your teacher. Sometimes things can get uh, a little bit. Um, that the line between professional and personal can be blurred a little yes. bit, and and that can yeah make you feel uh, not great. Not or great, or even or even if the, if the line you know is is clear, I think what people mm. who are not um, maybe artists or not musicians might not understand is the fact that you know um, having a, a so euphonium teacher or a singing teacher it's not like hiring a math tutor. You, you don't know, like, immediately, oh, he can't teach because, and it's clear the answer is wrong, you know. Mm. I think with a, a music teacher, an instrument playing teacher, um, you, you have got to give it time to to develop that trust with someone. And it might take yeah. six months to a year before you then realise that, okay, you know, this is, maybe it's just that it's not going to fit. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But by then, that time would have been gone of course in the grand scheme yeah. of things hey that's probably what led you here today right mm, exactly mm. exactly yeah and i think uh, this is a generalization mm. i think but there are two types of teachers in higher music education okay one of them tries to understand mm. what the students mm. want to achieve mm. and they model their teaching based on that yes so uh, what they what this sort of teacher also try to do is that they try to really uh, coax that kind of uh, identity out of yes. you. Yes, you know they try to engage you in conversation whereby do you want to do this or do you want to do that? Yes, and yeah, do you want to phrase it like this or phrase it like that? Uh, what is the type of repertoire that you are passionate about? Yeah. why, right? And there's a another type of teacher that is like, okay, I have a model for all my students. You have to go through <laughs> all these things. Right. Yes. If you if you fail on one of this element, mm-hmm. then we stay on this element until it's fixed. Yeah. And if at the if after a prolonged period of time, if it's still not working, then then you should quit. You practice more. Yeah. Or you should quit. Yeah. And not be a musician yeah. anymore. Oh. Yeah. That, that, that means yeah yeah uh yeah you're just not cut out for this thing. Yeah. Right. And I think when teachers start to not uh have this sort of like modular approach when they have a new student, it becomes very dangerous. Mm. Right? Yes. You, yeah, you start to think that perhaps your way is the best way yes. and that because 80% of my students have succeeded with this model, yes. therefore this model is good and I'm doing my job. And yeah, that is like all of a sudden it becomes a filter system, yes. right? You, you pass this, you go on to have a career. Yes. You don't pass this means that you should go and do something else. You know, but it's not like that. What you just said just hit all the nails on the head. Yeah, Mm. I I had had a teacher. um, um, You know, one one year after we were um, in a teacher student uh, relationship, right? One year Mm. later, she still thought I was from the Philippines. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, and um, I think. Yeah. Oh, I don't even know how to start. Maybe you don't want to put this in, but um, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. I, but look, I got the same thing when I was in Manchester. Yeah. I was from Hong Kong. 
Oh my gosh, yes. Right. <laughs> right? So I I think um of course we, we've reached this uh at this current uh, climate, mm. right? In in the in the society, these sort of statements become um perhaps very um detrimental to somebody's uh, reputation la, because they can be pinned down for for the the lack of awareness or perhaps even racism. But this goes beyond this, right? We are, we are not after like, oh, you are racist because yeah. this could be a genuine mistake. Yes. But the fact that this mistake can happen one year in or for me, two years in, yeah. is ridiculous. I completely agree. You know, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, look, I think music students are always in a very uh, vulnerable position. Yes. And we do empower our teachers quite a bit, yes. to be honest. Yeah. Right? Because everything that they say is gold. They're like the guide up the mountain, you know? Correct. Everything that they say is thought to be the truth. Yeah. If they say that you are singing poorly or you are playing poorly or you are playing wrongly, you take that as fact. <sighs> Sometimes we don't question so much. And perhaps... It is also because of our uh, Asian upbringing that we are like Yes, that. completely. That we don't challenge, we don't engage in conversation, we just take it. Because we right? think you're the teacher, if, you know better. Correct. Yeah. yeah, so you you are giving me the information and it's perhaps disrespectful yeah. for me to challenge yeah. your views and to, to think otherwise. Mm. But yeah, like you said, with music, it's something that's so subjective. Yeah. The question is, did they take the time to try to understand why you did certain things? Yes. And by what you're doing and naming your intentions, does that make the performance more sensible? Mm. Or are they just unable to accept any other way other than their mm. way? Yeah. If teachers don't realize what position they're in, how much power they wield over the student, and they start to... I wouldn't say they, I don't think they abuse it. I, it's def- I don't think they, it's intentional. Yeah, yeah. But they need to understand and realize how much impact what they say have on the students. Yes. You yes. Know? Do you know, I, I remember, so this, this teacher of mine, she said, um, at one point she sat me down in class and she said, so uh, I need to have this conversation with you. I have it with all my students, but I think it's time to ask you, what are your backup plans? <laughs> you know, are you giving yourself mm. a deadline? Like if by, I don't know, 32 or 33 or 35, you know, if you don't, you know, quote unquote succeed or whatever, mm. um, do you have a fallback? Because I think in today's age, it's important to ask, Maybe, mm. I don't know, you know, I, maybe from uh, uh, a non-musician, Singaporean perspective, this just sounds like a pragmatic question. And yes, of course, mm. we, we can also see where this conversation is, is, is rooted in, right? But, yeah. you know, there's really no sort of end goal, I think. Mm. Uh, what, just because somebody sings in a bigger theatre, does that make that person a more worthy musician? You know? Mm. I or no. I well I, I completely disagree. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I, I guess it's the question of what is succeed. Yes. What is very true. Um 
yeah, what what do you deem oh, is getting a role or getting a fixed job uh, at a theater the dream, mm. right? Is that what you deem as uh, successful? Yeah. So uh, if if we translate that to uh, an instrumentalist, it would be like, would the term success be winning an orchestra job and know that you have a fixed pay coming every month? Is is that the name of or, or is that how we define success? You know, I have asked a, a few. So during that that tumultuous time of my life, which was about one two years ago, I did ask the the, mm. the sort of professionals around me. Of course, everyone had a different answer, but I think in like in general, there was a category of um, older musicians who who very readily answered succeed. Success means you are earning enough as a musician to sustain yourself. So it was pegged to money. Of course, money mm. is important. Yeah, we're not saying that we're just yeah. living on dreams, no. But mm. <laughs> <laughs> but I think yeah. maybe this mindset comes from comes from an I want to say older, but maybe a more established time where where the way to make a living through music was to, as you said, get these orchestral jobs or theater jobs. But I mm. think really that. You know, in today's time and age, we we we're fortunate because we can afford to to think out of the box, to create opportunities yeah. for ourselves that are different. And I would like Ultra. to stress so so hard, you know, to to you, to myself, to to even my students, that your worth as a person and as a musician is independent of all these outside things. Yes, mm. of course. You know, when you get a role, when you get an offer, yes, it can be validation, especially if you worked hard for it. Yeah, um, sometimes it just falls in your lap. You know, but these mm. should not be your own measures of your worth. You, you can, and you, we. Okay, I, I, I just talk about myself. <laughs> I always tell yeah. myself I can and I should be an excellent, responsible singer, even if no job is offered to me and I'm alone in my living room. You know? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But just, just because no one is listening publicly doesn't mean that you let your guts down. Yeah. Well, guard. In, in a way, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But it's that, that constant uh, quality control of what we do. <laughs> quality control. Okay. Right. Sorry. I just felt, I felt yeah. like a factory for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, we, we hold ourselves to, to that kind of standards, isn't it? We hold ourselves to that kind of level. Yes, and that's our responsibility, and, no? Exactly. And and like like I said, I think, you know, if we go back, say, 30, 40 years, mm. right, where these older professionals are um, out there trying to get a job, I think back in the day, by being a better musician, like technically mm. or musically or what we term as musical excellence, mm. sets you apart from other people. Mm-hmm. Perhaps. I, I think, at least for, for instrumentalists, the level of average conservatory students mm. is always on the rise, I believe, for, for voice students as well. Uh, comparing uh, the quality of students years ago, and it's only normal that the general standard is always higher, higher, higher. Mm. Each for, time. For, for singers, there are different viewpoints. Some people would, would agree okay. with you, but others would say that um, the vocal education for today is very different because 
in the past, people started way earlier. You know, there were not all these mm. like, oh, I take A-levels first. And yeah, okay. in the past, it was like, okay, this person has talent from the age of eight or 10 or whatever. So go study with a renowned teacher and go study every day, kind, you know? Okay. Yeah. And then groom, 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 and then you become... Yeah. Whereas now, it's 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 very institutionalized. Mm, okay. Okay. Sure. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I think that nowadays, like you said, the whole industry and whole climate is a little bit different we are so much more open to collaboration with different musicians Mm -hmm. different disciplines right where sometimes after doing this sort of um, collaborative work that you might find really meaningful you don't perhaps feel like you want to go back and have a full-time a role or full-time job at a theatre and stuff. I, I don't know whether people feel like that or not. To have that freedom to do the projects that they're truly passionate about. Yeah, maybe for, for that particular teacher, freelancing is not a sustainable thing to do. You know, it's funny because she was a freelancer and she was really, she's a really good singer. She had a really, really, really good mm. career. But I think, yeah, um, I think it, it, it must, you know, it, Obviously, it must have been really challenging for her in her time too. This has never been an easy path for anyone. And I guess mm. her, her words of caution came from that place, uh, that, that place of really yeah. caution, I suppose, mm. rather than elevation yeah. or, as you said, trying to find out what, what works for you as a, as a person, as a singer, what sets you apart from all my other students, for example, or whatever. So for example, I, I brought yeah. her some leader, you know. No, I didn't bring her mm. some leader. I said I would like to sing some leader. Oh, for people who don't know, in classical singing, it's not just all about opera. We Classical singing mm. is, um, for lack of a better word, it's, it's, it's a genre, it's a, it's a technique, it's a way of, of singing, of using the human voice in a way that it doesn't need to be amplified. Mm. Certainly for opera. Yeah. Um, but even within that this genre of singing or this type of singing, there are many, many, many different kinds of repertoire available. Opera is one of them. And of course, we have the most famous um, La Boheme, we have the Rigoletto, we have the Traviatas, yeah. And they, they have their yeah, rightful... The Italian classics. Yes, they have their rightful place. But apart from Italian, French, German, Russian operas, we also have folk songs. We have this genre called song. Song was composed for, for like a more living room kind of recital-based performance. You understand what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Very much more intimate yes. setting. Right? Yes. Yeah. And not based on one whole storyline where you have like also costumes and props and, you know, all that kind of thing. Mm. But really intimate collaboration between singer and pianist or singer and the chamber group. Yeah. yeah. So these are, well, maybe chamber music. And then... There are also oratorios. Oratorios are like uh, sort of in between, like a lot of them are religious based. Um, you will usually yeah. be maybe choir and some soloists uh, and then an orchestra mm. or maybe just organ. So there are really many different kinds of music out there. And yeah. I, I just remember I with, with this teacher, I, I once said, I would like to sing some leader. And it's, it was, you know, so her response was, but you're not a leader singer. And that was for me really interesting because so th- this teacher of mine, she um, her her career, her education was was uh, in mostly in Germany, 
you know. And in mm. Germany, we have, or they have, especially in the past, now it's a bit different, but in the past, they, they had a very clear demarcation between like, okay, you are an opera singer, or, or you are educated as um, a recitalist, a concert singer. So they have these okay. lines. Whereas, you know, when right. we're in UK, in Manchester, for example, our music education consisted of learning of everything. Yeah, yeah, early from Baroque, learning how to sing with the harpsichord to uh, playing some contemporary music, you know, with drums and electronics and everything. Mm. So I think it's, it's really a matter of perspective and, and openness, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah I think this sort of... Um, uh, <laughs> uh, I would say streaming system, <laughs> uh, something that we are very familiar <laughs> of in Singapore, mm-hmm. of course, uh, into like, oh, you do this and then uh, you do only that. I think that's, especially in uh, um education point of view, I find that to be very, very uh, crippling. Do you find that as well? Or do you, f- do you feel that it's okay? Because I do, yeah, I do appreciate like what Darren Sam did, which was to give people a, uh, uh, a goal and a taste of different types of uh, genres mm. and then I think a particular genre would really uh, resonate with you mm. and if you want to explore that a little bit mm. more then you can go ahead and do mm. that right but instead of yeah defining people like to do what a, a particular thing or to just do a particular genre. Yeah, I don't know what you think. I think that yeah. the best education can and should be tailored to what the singer needs and the singer's strengths. So mm. I think that especially as a young musician, it's important to be exposed to different things so that you know, mm. okay, this is for me and this is maybe not for me or maybe this is something I need to work on to to strengthen so that I can help these other aspects. Yeah, um, But of course... Um, at a, maybe at a higher level, then there needs to be, perhaps, I don't know, okay, perhaps there needs to be the question of how can I best um, equip you for this industry, this climate. Mm. And this also differs yeah. depending on which country you're in. So what was your response when the teacher said that, but you're lo- not a leader singer? Did you feel like, oh, then does it mean that I should never ever sing leader in my life? <laughs> does that mean that um, I uh, it's not worthwhile for me to to investigate and to learn more about, you know, songs. And you've been like singing, uh, songs, uh, at the RNCM yeah. anyway, yeah. right? So, and and for, um, the teacher to say something like that to you, yeah. How was that for it you? It was, yeah. um, I okay. I must uh, disclaimer. I think I should also put it out there that I. Part of my journey this last couple of years has been trying to undo this Asian Asian student mindset. Yeah, this my teacher is always right <laughs> mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, yes. very often my teacher is, is very right lah. Yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah. There, there's only so much of us we can change, right? Yeah, so. yeah. Oh, rem- I I I, yeah. Re- I read a quote a couple of days ago. I just wanted to share with you, but remind me later. Okay, so but for this yes. question, I um I was. I was taken aback, of course, because, mm. you know, the funny thing was, she said this after I I told her that, um, I, so I have a 
I don't know whether you know him, Victor, Victor Lim. He's my piano duo partner. And we have, we've, um, so we met at the RNCM. He's a really, really, really um, a proficient, very, very good pianist. Um, he's mm. from South Korea. He's currently living in the UK. But uh, so mm. we... Oh, yes, yes, mm. yes. Okay. So, yeah, I remember. yeah we, we yeah. met actually in my final year in RNCM because he was looking for someone to, uh, to help sing for his audition. Um, and mm. then since then, we... We discovered, so we were of the same mind when it came to music. And, um, okay, long story short, we had applied for this competition, the song competition in Stuttgart. And it was like, mm. it's one of the most major song competitions, um, like, ever. La. And, and yeah. you know, we, we expected it not to get through. And, but we did. And, mm. you know, just getting through was for us already... Huh, wow, let's just like see yeah. where we go, you know? And so when yeah. I had this conversation with my teacher, it was after I told her that, hey, we know we got accepted into this. But then her response mm. was one of a lot of like doubt and are you sure you can do this, you know? For this particular teacher, okay, I must say like I've I've been blessed to have had quite a few teachers during this journey. And yeah. so I've been exposed to the fact that really... Um, there are different perspectives out there. Yeah. But mm. what I was really grateful for was the fact that I came from RNCM where I had these amazing opportunities to do song repertoire, which I so love because it is about singing poetry and um, I I just love the intimacy of it. And I was told often by, by, by teachers, by visiting professors, by you know, accomplished musicians that this is an area of music where where I seem to have an affinity for and and mm. I can trust and and explore more along this path. So yeah. so I guess because of that, the Asian student in me lost that battle, thank God. And I could then say, okay, well, I I guess okay, this is your opinion, but Never mind. Since I got through, I'm gonna I'm gonna try my best, and I'm gonna go yeah. for it. I, I think I think I will learn and I will have fun. Yeah. Do you think her, her opinion mm-hmm. of you, um, not being particularly suited for this uh, leader uh, genre, mm-hmm. is down to you? Uh, is down to you being enrolled into an opera yes. studio? <laughs> I think in large part, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> that's really interesting. So, um, so basically, because you're enrolled into the opera studio, therefore, your your future and your work is cast in stone, in in her opinion. Well, maybe not stone, but maybe I don't know, cement. <laughs> Clear. <laughs> okay. Okay. I yeah. That. Sure. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, but have you uh, unshackled yourself, or were you at any point shackled to think that? you know, I'm I'm not suited for this genre. Or it's kind of like, okay, that's, it's okay to have your uh, opinion, but I'm going to do what I really enjoy. You know, Vincent, like, I can speak honestly, right? Oh, I'm so bad at public speaking, you know? I, I just like throw <laughs> a lot of shade on myself, but I think it's, <laughs> I think it's important to be honest. And um, I, if people are listening, I, I, yeah, I just want to share this honest struggles, but I have been, I was so shackled, <laughs> you know, mm. by, um, by all these 
limits that that people might good but might with good intentions place on you because that is their opinion. Mm. Yeah. So I, but you know, of course, at the time it's painful. Today, today yeah. I can look back and I say I'm thankful for them because they made me um, have to consider if they were true or not. Yeah. And um, today I will, and also circuit breaker. I must say, surprisingly, <laughs> this period alone, mm. I think I, I don't see myself that way anymore. I see myself as, um, I see myself as a human being. I I have been mm. given a voice. And I will, I will sing whatever I can do justice to, you know, and whatever yeah. I love, of course. But yeah, mm. be that mm. opera yeah. or a song or I don't know. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And I think throughout this sort of very difficult times, I think at the end of it, we always learn more about ourselves. Yes. And I think that is the most important takeaway. Yes. That, yeah, you know, uh, things happen. Uh, not very pleasant, but at the end of it, uh, it, it actually kind of clears up the picture for us a little bit. Yeah, good. Right, uh, so just one more question. Sure. This question, this is like something that I'm very curious about. And over time, I've been speaking to some of my other uh, colleagues mm-hmm. and friends yeah. about this. And I want to know this uh, from a singer's perspective because... Okay. Back when we were uh, in Manchester, yeah. where we used to speak about this sort of um, uh, relatable techniques between brass playing and singing, uh-huh. often you will talk about this particular term called the alignment right. of the technique. Right. Right. So I'm not going to put you in a spot to define like what this alignment is, but I just want to hear your own opinion on what you meant by alignment. Because over the last couple of years, I've been sort of trying to understand how to perform and play efficiently, mm-hmm. which I realized that I wasn't doing before that. And I feel like a lot of things were, were forced without my knowledge. How did you then realize that it was not aligned? I think when I listen back to perhaps some of the older recordings, mm. the, the sound was a little bit dull. Mm. Yeah, I tend to go a little bit, maybe tuning-wise, a little bit flat. And when I had to, say, for example, do leaps up to the higher register, it would be very, very like difficult. And I feel like I had to use so much effort mm. uh, to, to get to the notes. And everything just didn't feel like it was connecting very organically. Yeah. So... Um, what I've realized on, on my part is this uh, is that kind of singer's approach, right? The, the falsettos and approach to to playing. Okay. And so what I've realized, in basically what I've done in the past is a lot of perhaps overblowing, using too much effort, not mm. getting the, the correct results. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I start to feel that, you know, for me, in, in order to play up to the, the super register, mm. really that the target board, become so small if mm. I can put it that way mm. right you are looking for that that particular focus you are looking for that um, the moment where it becomes effortless <laughs> yes yeah uh, I think we, we spoke about that a little bit mm. when where everything is aligned everything becomes effortless and easy yes and it is the same feeling that I'm trying to to get when I'm playing the euphonium as well that it is not 
so kind of unorganic. Yeah. Effortful. Yeah. Mm. Mm, exactly. Effortful. Yeah. So, yeah. So I just want to like hear your thoughts about what the alignment is physically and mentally uh, for you. Wow. Okay, this is a huge question that I'm not even sure I'm uh, qualified to answer. <laughs> but, but of course, I, I, like I said, this is just like your opinion. Mm, I can only speak from my experience. I think, I, I think, I think it's really um, interesting how our mind um, thinks about these terms. So I think I, I, so just from my my personal perspective, I wouldn't um, set effortless as a goal because for me effortless is a consequence of doing things of setting things up right do you understand what i mean mm, yeah um so because um, I, I i feel if i were to set effortless as a goal then i i it actually does not um uh, answer what what are the things i need to do to get there to, to feel mm. Mm. yeah um, or oh, there could be a lack of support right mm, if, yes <laughs> if you think that way yeah yes. okay sure we are mm. like a, a finely tuned machine machine oh i don't like that word um <laughs> we being being okay yeah, we are yeah. <laughs> we are a finely tuned being with many parts and mm. i think singing is like playing any other instrument the only difference of course is that um it's, uh, you know for singers our instrument is our body um, and our voices, our vocal cords. But mm. uh, so speaking with you, speaking with, um, yeah, I think we've, we've, we've always established that they are not the, the, the heart, the, the object. Their instrument is not mm. just the object. It is also themselves. So yeah. how do we align ourselves in order to, to do our work? most efficiently i think that can only be answered um, depending on the instrument but mm. from a singer's perspective um, it is very much about breath flow of course breath support but breath flow and placement of where we, we view the lines of mm. course before that there is also the alignment of the body and posture and that's why um so many singers and instrumentalists, but so many singers do things uh, like Alexander Technique, like Feldenkrais, or do yeah. yoga and Pilates. It's mm. all for this reason of helping us to find this this alignment. And yeah, you, yeah. Um, there is a really uh, famous uh, baritone, American baritone. His name is Thomas Hampson. If anyone is interested in seeing how um, this physical alignment. Uh, affects singing you can always youtube him he he has quite a lot of master classes on youtube and because okay. he's a very uh, he's very big on doing yoga and alexander technique and mm. um yeah i think he explains it really well uh, yeah how yoga has helped yeah. him la. Mm. Mm -hmm. okay actually for you because you've entered a music college at a later age mm -hmm. for a singer do you see that as a slight advantage because obviously for, for um, all of you there is this maturity of the voice that comes into play as well isn't it mm. uh, in your career development mm. it's not just um, clocking hours where you know for instrumentalists it's kind of uh, more uh, less biological yeah 
So what, what are your thoughts on like perhaps entering music college at a later time? I think when I was in RNCM, actually on the master's course, quite a few of my classmates were also slightly older. So I, and even in the bachelor's, yes, some people were as young as 18, 19, but even then the voices were already starting to stabilize, especially for girls, you know, so we didn't have to, uh, well, at least I didn't witness any of like the voice breaking or that kind of, um, that, that phase yeah. of, of growth. So mm. Actually, for me, this maturity has helped more mentally than vocally. Of course, vocally, okay. then then you have the assurance that, yes, my instrument is somewhat stable to work with. Um, and that, mm. that very much then depends on your work with your teacher. Uh, but I think mm. mental maturity has helped more than anything. What actually happens um, throughout uh, a singer's career, actually? So, um, obviously... What what I know is that as the your career progress, mm-hmm. your um, the muscles in the vocal cords will start to uh, relax, mm-hmm. and yeah, and then that has new sort of like up and downsides mm. to your singing, right? Mm. Th- does that actually matters or not? Actually, absolutely. You know, more research and studies being done on this like today, and I think that's um, really good. So you. If you go online, you can find all sorts of papers on how pregnancy, menopause, uh, the period can affect the voice. And mm. it absolutely affects because, well, uh, what are, what is the voice, right? It's, it's made of muscles, of vocal cords, and, and all these are linked to blood vessels. And, and um, it's just the time of the month will affect the hormone levels. And, yeah, yeah you know, you have singers, female singers who... who routinely say that you know every time they have their period it's it's always harder to sing things feel a little bit more swollen in the throat and mm, sometimes okay. it's harder to hit the higher notes of course like it affects different people differently right yeah i, I was reading actually on a forum someone was saying that apparently in the past like a few decades ago already apparently mm. in the past female singers were given a, a few days off the first few days of their period so they don't have to sing. Can you imagine? <laughs> oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Well, not today, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Um, work, 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 work. Yeah. <laughs> so now, now we just cope. Yeah. yeah. But yes, because because the vo- uh, the body is the instrument, so anything and everything affects my colleagues who have um, ha- who have gotten pregnant and and given birth. They say that their voices have become a lot richer. It's much easier to feel their pelvic support when they're uh, when they're when they're pregnant with child. Mm. So, well, maybe one day I can tell you firsthand how that feels like. <laughs> then uh, post-childbirth, uh, w- would that revert more or less back to what it was or it's going to have some kind of like very lasting uh, effects? I think there's no fixed indicator. But um, I also have read that after childbirth, for example, people have to do a lot of pelvic floor exercises just to just to get the, the support muscles sort of working mm. and engaged again. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Whether or not that feels like the same as before, I'm, I'm not sure. And uh, then now towards like um, the, the back end of the career, uh, or not, not say the back end of the career, but as you, as you get a little bit older, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, how does your uh, voice would tend to evolve? Is that down to like person to person or is that a general sort of trend? Um, the general trend, if you if you do not upkeep it 
if you or you, if you had not kept it with um, a healthy technique. Or a lot of people say if you had been singing repertoire that is too big or too unhealthy, um, but I guess it comes mm. down to technique, lah. Is that the the yeah. voice might start to um, to be a, a lot harder to control to work with, and okay. and we have this term called like the wobble, this dreaded singer's term, the wobble that might start to creep in where you know you hear uh. older singers and then and then the voice kind of goes ah right ah um, uh, okay. Like the right. the vibrato gets really wide, for example. Okay, a little bit like yodeling, basically. Uh, okay, my my, oh, my example was bad, <laughs> but <Yeah>. yes. <laughs> or, or, or is it just kind of like like shakes in the sound? Yes. Like okay. yes. Um, I you know it just reminded me. I have a uh, uh when I was in the opera studio in Switzerland, I had a very good friend. She's Japanese, and she was telling mm. me about her Japanese uh, singing teacher, uh, in Japan, and this lady is now like 80 plus years old. And my friend tells me that her voice still sounds fresh and well-supported and connected even to this day. And that's because mm-hmm. this lady, for every single day of her life in the last, I don't know how many decades, you know, wakes mm-hmm. up at the same time, practices every morning, something like wake up at 4 or 5 a.m., you know, and then go, yeah. for, go for a walk and then practices. And she lives this life of discipline and routine and just mm. wow i was just so amazed yeah and this is such a a, a trait of the older generation japanese mm. uh people isn't it yeah. it's just like yeah i I mean i watch a documentary of the uh, sushi master <laughs> you know like jiro sushi so, okay yeah so it, it's the same thing he takes the same train he sits on the same seat he mm. goes to his restaurant he does the same thing same yeah. routine yeah and of course he's like one of the world's runs one of the world's best sushi restaurant, mm. but I, I think it's very kind of applicable. I would believe that they belong more or less to the same uh, generation. Mm. Yeah, but there's this kind of dedication. Yes. To to your craft, isn't it? Yes. That, that is yeah, almost inspiring. Very yeah. Yeah, and I honestly I find it hard to imagine myself doing that. I know, right? But yeah, you mm. know, yeah. Do you think you'll be? Uh, adopting this kind of lifestyle um, in, in the future. <laughs> well, I that's certainly something that I aspire to. Mm. Yeah, but how well it works, let's check back in like five decades. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. You you mentioned that mm-hmm. there was a quote that you read somewhere. Ah. Okay, yeah. so I, I saw this saw this on Facebook a couple of days ago. Someone shared it. Um it says when a flower doesn't bloom you fix the environment in which it grows, not the flower. Have, have you heard that? Mm. No. Okay, it's just, uh, yeah. it's from a, a writer from Amsterdam. Okay. And I don't know, the quote just really resonated with me because I think as, you know, coming back to our journey, working on our own crafts and learning from teachers, but also f- discerning what works for ourselves, I think you know, so often in life, we, we think that we think that we we are the ones that need like that needs um, fixing. That needs that there's something wrong. There's always something wrong with us. But actually, mm. yes, of course, there's there are always things to improve and and work on. And we are a constant work in progress. But I think we we also need to be kinder to ourselves. You know, and to to realize that it is human, it is normal 
to need support, uh, space in which to grow. Yeah. Yeah. And every flower mm. is different. Something that works for someone else might not work for you and that's okay. Correct. Yeah. And it blooms at different times. Yes. As well. Yes. Right? Yeah. Great. And I think uh, wonderfully put and I think um, such a such an important thing for everyone to realize. Sometimes uh, don't don't always take things in your stride. You know, of course, you 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 should at times be more forgiving to yourself and understand that you are on this uh, journey of learning and yes. discovery. Yes. Yeah, and not put so much pressure on yourself. Hundred <laughs> percent. Okay, and uh, so with that, I think it is time for us to wrap this up. Okay. You know, time flies. I know. Yeah. 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 Almost, almost ninety minutes. Huh? Oh. I've chat with you. I could go yeah. until tomorrow. Oh could man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, me too. Me too. And uh, so it's been uh, absolutely lovely uh, catching up with you today, Sangting, and uh, to learn that uh, I think you're doing well. I'm doing well. I'm really happy. Yeah. I've quite a, a few projects coming up at next year. Mm. Uh, if 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 you know COVID improves and, and everything, I'm I'm really excited. And a lot of them will be in Singapore actually. So I hope to see yeah. you live soon. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Definitely. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So I I wish you. I believe that you are going to make a or you still plan to make a trip yes. back to Switzerland. Yes. Yeah. So I wish you all the very best. Thank you so much uh, for for your for your remaining time abroad. Okay. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure good things will happen and, for you. And to you, yeah. Thanks again for coming on to the show. And on that note, we will sign off on this episode of You Play A What. You have been listening to You Play A What, hosted by Vincent Tan. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button so that you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. Rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends if you feel so inclined. The theme music for the podcast is entitled Midnight Affairs and is composed by Algirdas Matonis and recorded by Vincent Tan. Thank you so much for listening to You Play or What? Until next time.